You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Today, we're heading to Calgary in Alberta, Canada. In 2012, it was home to 24-year-old Ryan Lane, a father of one, living with his dad, Bruce. Ryan's friends said he was quite introverted, but around those he felt comfortable with, he was fun, loved to joke around, and was an avid gamer. Those in his life said he was trustworthy, compassionate, kind, and carefree, doing what he could, where he could, for the people in his life. For the last few years, Ryan had been facing some troubles. He'd been in disputes with his ex-partner and mother of their child, Sheena Cuthill, over visitation rights. Their four-year-old daughter Jordan had stayed with Sheena when the pair split, and Ryan hadn't seen Jordan in a long time. Ryan and Sheena had met in 2006, and the pair had started dating shortly after. A year later, their daughter Jordan was born, but the couple went their separate ways, just three months later. Friends of the couple said their breakup did come as a shock. They'd been joined at the hip for years, and no one saw it coming. After the splits, Ryan moved out, and Sheena moved on. Ryan went back to live with his father Bruce, and although he knew this was not the ideal situation, it gave him a sense of stability and someone he could open up to about the problems he was having. Sheena went on to marry a man named Tim Rempel, and when Sheena was pregnant with their baby in 2011, she filed for sole custody of Jordan. Friends said this was a massive punch in the gut for Ryan, and he was completely devastated. Visiting Jordan had already been hard enough, but he was worried what little contact he had would now be completely taken away. He set about challenging it in court, and they agreed that he should be allowed visitation. But, as the weeks turned into months the contact became less and less. It reached a point where Ryan could no longer reach Sheena on the phone she had as she had changed her number. He had no idea where they were living and Sheena had completely come off social media. As much as Ryan was trying to stay positive and proactive, it was a huge weight on his shoulders and friends and family could tell his mood was low and he was feeling defeated. As 2012 came around... It had now been two years since Ryan had seen his daughter. He was still hopeful that one day he and Sheena could sort their issues out and he could start to rebuild the relationships with both of them. In February of that year, Ryan finally felt like this day had come. He heard from Sheena and it seemed that she had had a change of heart. She wanted to arrange a meeting with the three of them so Ryan could see Jordan and they could talk about the custody plans. Ryan texted all his friends to tell them the good news. He was so excited and went out straight away with his mother to buy presents for Jordan, taking a selfie of them doing so. The date was set for the 6th of February at a Chuck E. Cheese restaurant. On the afternoon of February the 6th, cameras inside the Chuck E. Cheese picked up Sheena and Jordan walking in. And, a short time later, Ryan came in too, 
carrying bags of toys. They all spent a couple of hours together, with Ryan taking lots of photos of and with his daughter. She was wearing his baseball cap in some of them, and it seemed that everyone was having a lot of fun together. They then parted ways, and Ryan headed back to his dad's to upload the photos to social media and show his friends. He said it was the best day of his life. He felt like a weight had finally been lifted. Bruce said it was the happiest he'd seen his son in years. A few hours later, just before midnight, Ryan was gaming with a friend on Skype when he received a strange and unexpected phone call. The man on the end of the line told Ryan he knew all about the issues between him and Sheena and he had a way to help him with the custody battle. Ryan didn't really think twice or question how this person knew him, knew about his situation or got his phone number. He agreed to meet him straight away but did tell his friend on Skype to keep an eye on the time, and if he wasn't back soon, to call the police. He ran downstairs and told Bruce he needed to go and see what this man had to say. Bruce had real concerns and asked him if he could go with him, but Ryan said he needed to go alone. He told his dad he could follow him and watch from a distance. Bruce grabbed his son by the shoulders and shook him, telling him someone was messing with him. What's he gonna do? Stab me or something? Ryan said. Bruce said his son was desperate for any help he could get to see Jordan Moore and was willing to try anything. And with this, he hurried out. There were so many red flags that Bruce grabbed his car keys and slowly started trailing his son as he walked on foot to meet this mystery man. He finally came to a stop in the car park of a strip mall. Bruce pulled in and watched as his son approached a red truck with piles of wood in the back. A man Bruce did not recognise stepped out, and the pair talked for a couple of minutes, before Ryan got into the passenger side and the truck drove off. Bruce followed for as long as he could before he lost them. He started calling his son over and over, but the phone soon stopped ringing. He knew in his gut this was a really bad situation, and just before 1am, he called the police, telling them he thought his son had been kidnapped. The next morning, Bruce set about getting hold of Ryan's phone records too. The police felt they did have a lot to work with. Bruce had seen the truck, the man driving it, and could tell them the locations they drove in, which were hopefully covered by cameras so authorities felt confident as they went into the search. Ryan's phone records told detectives that the mystery man had called him from a payphone in an SO gas station. The SO gas station had cameras inside, but they were all facing just slightly away from the payphone, showing nothing of the person who made the call. The footage did, however, confirm that the same red truck Bruce had seen pulled in around that time. Along with the truck, there was also a red Jeep Cherokee, 
and police felt confident that they were linked. Just after midnight, both vehicles drove out of the station in the same direction, and this coincided with the call that was made to Ryan just minutes before. But as for the drivers and the licence plates, the footage was useless. The videotapes were sent to experts in the hope they might be able to enhance it, but the police were doubtful. Ryan's image, details and last known location were now circulating throughout the media and his family and friends were making many emotional appeals. Um, I just want to say a few words. I hope I can get through it. Here goes. I miss Ryan. I wish he would come home. If he's come to any harm, I hope we can at least find his body and bring him home to us. He does not like being alone, and he's a little afraid of the dark, although he'd be mad at me for telling you that. He has a heart of gold, and everyone who knows him will tell you that he has helped them through a rough patch, a broken heart, a bout of loneliness. Ryan does not judge people the way you or I would. Ryan just accepts them for who they are, and he tries to give them what they want and what they need. His nickname in high school was Jesus, partly because he had the most beautiful natural dreadlocks, partly because of his warm brown eyes, and mostly because he hated to see anyone suffer. He would do anything to alleviate suffering. Ryan felt that everyone deserved to love and be loved. Can you see now why we are suffering so much? How can anyone take him from us? How can they hurt him? Why? Please let the police know if you have any clue as to where he is. Please look about your property. Be diligent in checking your land. Keep your eyes and your ears open for him, and maybe we'll find him. I sure hope we find him. I miss him so much. His brother, his sister, his father, his grand grandmothers, his aunties and uncles, cousins, nieces and nephews, his online friends, his school chums, we all miss Ryan very much. Thank you for doing everything you can to find him, but please, please, can you just do a little more? That's all. I just want to thank everybody for helping us. Thanks, guys. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. One thing that was certain was that Ryan's digital footprint was non-existent and the police were worried that this would not result in the outcome they wanted. They sought the advice of the Crown Prosecutor early on, who advised that they did have enough to start looking at it as being a case of homicide. Straight away, Bruce said he had no idea who would have wanted to hurt his son, but there were some serious issues with Sheena and maybe the police should focus on her social circle. While the interviews with everyone got underway, 
To the authorities' surprise, the footage from the gas station was able to be enhanced, just enough to work out the licence plate on the red jeep. Nothing had come back on the truck, but the jeep was registered to none other than Sheena Cuthill. The police needed to talk to her again and confront her with the footage. Sheena said the jeep was in the process of being repaired and she was driving her car instead. She did, however, say that her husband Tim had driven it a couple of times, but as far as Ryan went, she didn't know anything. When detectives spoke to Tim, he knew they were there about Ryan, but he said he couldn't help them either, as he had never even met him. He told them they could examine anything they needed, saying he had nothing to hide. Do you know why we're here, by chance? Uh, I do, yes. Why is that? Uh, Ryan Lane is missing. My wife told me. Okay. So, um, how do you know Ryan? I don't know Ryan. I've never met him. That's her whole thing that has to do with my stepdaughter, and I just, it's got nothing to do with me. How's uh, Sheena take, kind of taking it that, that he wants back in after two and a half years that you know him? She's frustrated, obviously. He's done this on and off game from the very beginning. You know, he shows up, and he's there for two weeks, then two months, and then he disappears for a couple months. But it looks like he's been making the effort now, so. Ryan met uh, your stepdaughter just on... Monday? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chucky, Chucky e. Cheese, I think. Do you, do you do anything after work? Do you, do you uh, stay home or do you go out? There's no going out. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very rare. Baby on the way in three weeks and we're check to check now, so. Every day in this shop for the last four weeks, because I'm here on the weekends trying to get our Jeep going, and it works and it dies and it works and it dies. And Is that the Jeep in front of your place? Yeah, that red one's sitting out there. It's dead right now? Yeah. When's the last time you drove that thing? Two nights ago, I went and seen Sheena. She was at her grandparents. So on the 6th, which is, I'm sorry, Monday? So that's the night that Ryan met at Chuck E. Cheese's with uh, your stepdaughter. Yeah. What did you do Monday? So you would have been at work Monday during the day, Mm -hmm. is that right? Uh, I worked till 8, 8.30, that's typical. My days all blend together. I don't even know what day of the month it is anymore. Officers said he was calm, collected, friendly and answered everything they asked. But things got more suspicious when officers heard that Tim's brother Will was often seen driving a red truck. They tracked him down living almost 30 miles away in his parents' basement. Do you know uh, Ryan Lane at all? No. You don't? That's that name at all? No, sir. Monday, were you, were, did you stay in the house all day? Oh, yeah. I... Yeah. How would it be then that your truck with the license plate that we've all looked at was at the SO Monday night at 11 30? I don't know. And your vehicle was seen in Calgary at about 11 30. So tell me how that happens. That does not compute. I don't even recall being there. You tell me my truck is there, and I guess my truck is there. I've. I don't know. He too denied knowing Ryan and said if he had been driving the truck that night, he genuinely couldn't remember. They asked him if they could see the truck. Tuesday night I went out. My truck fell apart. It's not worth fixing, so I had an opportunity to sell it. I sold it. A quick look around the basement area found a receipt that confirmed it had been sold just two days after Ryan was last seen. 
they also found a prepaid card for a car wash. Police knew that Will, Tim and Sheena knew far more than they were saying, and their vehicles being in the same gas station at the same time the call to Ryan was made was simply no coincidence. As soon as the interview with Will was over, he made a call to his brother Tim. Officers soon started intercepting phone calls as well. I've got three officers talking to me here. I guess somebody's gone, disappeared or something, and uh, they tracked Dad's truck somehow or what have you, I guess, and they're asking me a few questions. Authorities were fast gathering a lot of evidence that was pointing towards Sheena, Will and Tim being involved in whatever had happened to Ryan. And, after paying a visit to the car wash linked to the card found in Will's room, a lot more was discovered. Will had topped up the prepaid card on February the 3rd. And, at 6.20pm, a day after Ryan was last seen, getting into what police now believed was this very red truck, the cameras inside the car wash picked up Will power washing the entire vehicle, even the inside. He then spent some time spraying the residue on the ground to make sure everything went down the drain. What was the point of cleaning a truck so thoroughly if he was about to sell it for just $128? Police could really only think of one thing. The scrapyard that had taken the truck admitted that they had thought it was strange as the truck was in such good condition. In fact... One of the employees even offered to buy it for himself for $500, but Will refused, saying he wanted it scrapped, and that was the end of it. Fortunately for detectives, the truck hadn't even been touched yet. One thing they noted right away was the door handle on the inside of the passenger door was broken. Once the door was shut, you couldn't have opened it. The truck was towed and sent off for analysis, but everything they were finding was already painting a very frightening picture about what had likely happened to Ryan. So far, most of the evidence was pointing towards Will, but this all changed when Tim's bank records were subpoenaed. One transaction caught their eye. Just after 8pm on February the 6th, Tim had driven to another gas station and the image was clear enough to determine it was him, and he was definitely driving the red jeep that was then seen in the Esso gas station. This clearly put Will and Tim together just minutes before Ryan was called. Their case was getting stronger and stronger, but sadly, it was looking less and less likely that Ryan would be found alive. Got a problem. We got cops here at my work, and they just served me with a warrant, and they're seizing the Jeep. They're looking for anything Ryan Lane, fingerprints, hair, blood. If I wanted to erase everything off my phone, like completely everything, how do I do that? I just want everything gone off of it, like any search histories at all cleaned up and gone. The forensics from Will's truck and Tim's Jeep came in. Tim's Jeep tested positive for blood on the floor. 
and some drops of blood were also found on the passenger side of Will's truck. This came as no surprise that this blood was Ryan's, and the chances of it being anyone else's was 1 in 480 billion. But this was still not enough to obtain any arrest warrants. For all the police knew, this could mean that there was a physical fight between the men, but not necessarily anything more. Three months had now passed, and, as May 2012 came around, detectives got a huge surprise. A call came in to Calgary Police Station that left everyone blindsided. It was Tim, and he asked if he and Sheena could talk to officers in a local park. This time, he admitted he hadn't been completely truthful. He said he had met Ryan that night, and the pair had had a physical fight after he had started pressing him about the custody issue. But he said after this, he left Ryan with his brother Will and drove off. This was as close to the pair admitting that Ryan was dead as they were probably going to get at this point. From what I heard on the tape, you and Sheena hung me out to dry, man. They got information that they really shouldn't have, and I'm, I'm worried. More phone records for both Tim and Will show communication between the pair of them all day, up until 8pm. After this, the communication stopped. It then started up again at around 2.30am. The data showed why they weren't communicating via phone, and that was because they were together at that time. The cell phone towers placed the brothers in a deserted area of Bicycle, an area that spread over a huge 10,000 acres. It was in this vast space police began searching for Ryan Lane. The parents of a missing Calgary man making a tearful, heart-wrenching appeal tonight, begging someone to come forward and give them answers. Nancy Hicks has been working on this story. Nancy, police are planning a major search for Ryan this weekend. Well, police have already searched some very large areas with no success so far, but this weekend, dozens of search and rescue volunteers will join CPS K-9, Mounted Patrol, Hawks Helicopter, and the Calgary Fire Department in searching a rural area just west of Bicycle. This would turn into a massive and extensive search, and they put every amount of manpower they could into the painstaking task. This area here, so we'll just kind of spread out across here and go down to Type 2... All through this area they were there every day with sniffer dogs too, for as many hours as they could before it got dark. While some were doing this, everyone back at the station was still gathering as much as they possibly could about Sheena, Tim and Will. We didn't kill that boy. We didn't kidnap that boy. We had a conversation with him. Tim busted his face up a bit. I got blood in my truck because I was going to give him a ride home. He got out of the truck of his own free will. But they have nothing to go on. That boy was walking, talking, breathing absolutely fine when we left. For the officers searching the area of Bicycle, every day that passed without anything turning up was another blow. But it was an immense task, and they knew that as hard as it was, they couldn't give up. 
This had to be where Ryan was. More phone records soon came in. Sheena and Tim's text messages showed some cryptic and interesting prior conversations, which seemed to allude to removing Ryan from the picture. One text from Sheena to Tim said, Can I trust Will to have this done without cops turning up on the doorstep? You're not going to have any parts if I decide this. Tim replied, I will respect your decision, know that, but believe you'll only have to say yes once. Sheena said, You won't have any part in this, mister. You're going to behave and let your brother deal with it. If I decide this. I mean it, Tim. My answer will be no right now. I won't even consider it if you have any part of it. I will stay completely out of it, Tim said. And, a day before Ryan was seen stepping into Will's truck, Sheena sent another message to Tim. What are you doing? Getting things ready? Scoured the best spot at the pit, he replied. And just several hours later, in the early hours of the morning, Tim texted her again, saying, Give me the okay. Four minutes later, Sheena said it. Computer records from inside the houses showed that internet searches had been made for Ryan Lane, where he lived, and his social media profiles. Finally, in late June 2012 police made a discovery. A burn barrel in amidst the gravel and dirt had attracted the attention of Sully the sniffer dog. As police approached, they could see what looked like some bones, pieces of hammer and a shovel, and an engraved class ring with the name Ryan on it. Although it would take a while for the forensics team to confirm whose bones they were, police knew they had finally found him. The back of a burned iPhone was also found, and the IMEI number was still legible. Through this and Apple's store records, the iPhone was soon confirmed to be Ryan's. Good afternoon. Calgary police have found the remains of a young Calgary man. 24-year-old Ryan Lane vanished last winter. Well, Nirmala, after more than nine months, the search for Ryan Lane's body is over. Right from the start, uh, Lane's parents, his friends, and soon police believed something bad had happened to him. Police, and at one point about 80 volunteers, searched roughly 13,000 acres, all the way to Bicycle and Iracana for his body. Police aren't saying where or how that search came to an end, but they will say that they believe they know who killed him. We are in the process of putting together a first-degree murder charge. Uh, we believe that uh, his, his attack, his incident, is a targeted attack, that it's not a random attack. Police say that they believe Lane got a call the night he disappeared from someone offering to help him gain custody of his young daughter. Nirmala, they say they're expecting to charge two men and one woman with first-degree murder. All right, thank you very much. It was a devastating end and his family and friends were in a state of shock. His best friend said that when she got the call that they had found him, she dropped her coffee cup and just started to sob. She said it was made all the worse by the fact that she couldn't even go and see him to say goodbye properly, because there was nothing left of her friend. His parents took part in a press event and thanked everyone for their support. They had both prepared speeches, 
but his father Bruce had to pass it over to Lorraine because he simply couldn't get through it. Ryan will never have a chance to know his daughter, to find true love, to grow old with us. Everything has gone from him now, and we have to carry on. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think of him. He's in my heart and in my prayers always. And I ask myself every day why. The only thing that keeps me from losing my mind is the hope that the people who did this will be charged and sentenced and go to jail for a very long time. The last thing Ryan wanted before he died was to be a part of his daughter's life. We would like to carry on with his dream and have his daughter be a part of our family. If it isn't too much to ask, we do love her with all our hearts. Oh, and by the way, Ryan would have been 25 December 17th. He was much too young to die. If you know anything at all, we would ask that you please come forward it would help us find closure and answers to our many questions. We would appreciate it very much. Thank you. Bear with me, guys. <clears throat> I'd like to start off by saying uh, how grateful we are to uh, all the hard work the Calgary City Police, the RCMP, the numerous volunteers and departments and their resources that have been able to assist us in, bring, in bringing Ryan home. Read that for me. I can't see it. <laughs> you can't see. it. is in the dedication of people like this that have chosen a career path that serves the public, that enriches all our lives and makes for a safer environment. There's not been a day that goes by without me thinking of Ryan. All we have is memories from the past and our thoughts and aspirations of what could have been his future. The people responsible for ending Ryan's life and anyone that has been withholding evidence will now have to deal with this fact and judge their actions accordingly. And we ask if anyone has information that can aid to in closing the case, would you please come forward now? There are so many things as a parent that we would like to know. How was he killed? Did he suffer? under those that killed him in this senseless crime of self-greed. Brian was not in a custody battle. He just wanted visitation with his daughter, which was awarded to him by the courts. I believe it was on the night of his first visit with his daughter that he was taken and killed. This has led us to why we are here today and to ask for the public's help, help in calling in information that will help us bring this to an end. And so we may put our son's remains to rest and close this chapter of our lives. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. So I'm Grant Miller, and I'm the Staff Sergeant of the Calgary Police Service Homicide Unit. I have the following release for you today. Calgary Police Service has charged three people in connection with the death of a local man. Wilhelm Klotzenrempel, 38 years of age, of Airdrie, Sheena Cuthill, 26 years of age of Crossfield, and Timothy Martin Cripple, 27 of Crossfield, are each charged with one account of first-degree murder. All three have been remanded into custody and will make their first court appearance on Thursday, December 6, 2012. In November 2012, almost a year since he had last been seen, Sheena, Tim and Will were all placed under arrest. 
for the kidnapping and first-degree murder of 24-year-old Ryan Lane. All three entered pleas of not guilty, and it would take four long years to put the trial together, which began in March 2016. They all stood trial together at the same time. The courtroom was packed every day with people even sitting on the floor to watch. The clerk eventually had to set up CCTV in the overflow room for people to watch it from there. The prosecution said things were definitely made harder by the fact they didn't have Ryan's body, so determining things like an exact time and cause of death was near enough impossible. But the circumstantial evidence was so strong, they knew they had a great case and this was how they believed everything happened that night. They said that the trio had been planning to kill Ryan for months, and this was clearly reflected in the text messages. When the courts agreed that Ryan should be allowed access to Jordan, this was too much for Sheena, and she decided she needed him gone. After gathering all the information they could about Ryan, Sheena instructed Tim and Will to carry out the murder. She arranged to meet with Ryan one last time, Fresh off the excitement of seeing his daughter and already wanting to do it again, Tim made the call to Ryan and lured him out of the house. He then met Will in the car park and the pair drove to the remote area in Bicycle, where Ryan was met with Tim as well. Tim and Ryan got into an altercation about the custody battle, which quickly turned physical and Ryan ended up dead. They then put him in the back of Will's truck and Will drove off and burned his body. Ryan Lane was murdered because he wanted time with his daughter, the prosecution said. Four minutes. Sheena Cuthill took that time to give permission, and in that time had to decide life or death. Ryan's sister Megan said, If Ryan was in this room with us all now, I would ask him, would you die for the safety and well-being of your daughter? He would undoubtedly and loudly insist that yes, he would. And so... In Ryan's death, he has exposed these three people, thus removing them from the life of an innocent young girl who deserves her father. And for that, her father is a hero. All three were denying being the ones to actually kill Ryan, and everyone was pointing the fingers at each other. Tim and Sheena took the stand in their own defence, but Will chose not to testify. Dramatic twist at the Ryan Lane murder trial today. Lane's ex, who is the mother of his child and one of three people charged with his murder, took the stand. Sheena Cuthill is accused of orchestrating the plot to kill the 24-year-old. And as Anna Sadu reports, she denies any involvement. Sheena Cuthill took the stand in a Calgary courtroom and was asked to explain a series of text messages. She said Will Rempel's friends were supposed to frighten him and knew force would be used. On November 19, 2011, Cuthill asked her mom, In all of your lifetime with the bikers you hung out with, did you ever make people disappear? Cuthill says she told them that they could approach Lane and intimidate him. That was hours before he was last seen alive. Not long after Lane saw his daughter for the first time in more than two years. Cuthill denies planning or ever suggesting Lane be murdered. Crown didn't mince words at one point telling Cuthill not to be cute to answer the questions. 
She admitted she didn't want Lane in their daughter's life, and the little girl already had Tim Rempel as her father. Cuthill told court the plan was to have her husband approach Lane and intimidate him. Cuthill testified she didn't believe Lane would be hurt. She admitted she expected there would be a little roughhousing or some fighting. She also admitted she was in charge of giving the okay for that encounter, but didn't know any further details. She said, that's all my part was, to say yes. The Crown said, you want us to believe you said yes to something you didn't know about? Cuthill replied, you're giving my yes more power and authority than it had. The Crown kept pushing. You already knew what they were going to do. Cuthill said no. The Crown suggested she knew they were going to kill Ryan Lane, but Cuthill maintained she did not. On the stand, there were several partial confessions made, such as Tim admitting to making the burn barrel, but then saying he had no idea it had gone missing from his shed, and Sheena saying she had wanted Ryan to disappear or physically hurt him, but it was just a bad joke. The defence argued that there was simply no way of proving who had killed Ryan, or how he might have been killed, and with that doubt in their mind, there was just not enough to find anyone guilty. The Crown's case is so full of holes, you cannot help but have a reasonable doubt, they said. As the jury entered deliberations, it came to light that Tim had told the judge that Will had written a letter and given it to him in jail. The letter contained a confession. Part of it read, I did not want to do anything but protect you and yours, Sheena, Jordan and Nathaniel. I made a very bad decision to dispose of Ryan's body after he died while in my custody. But Judge McLeod ruled it as inadmissible and this was not allowed to go before the jury. Nevertheless, the DNA in the vehicles, the CCTV, the cleaning and getting rid of the truck and the phone and computer records was more than enough for the jury to return their verdict without even knowing the letter existed. Of Ryan Lane has waited more than four years for this day. All three people accused of killing him have been found guilty of first degree murder. In April 2016, Sheena, Tim, and Will were all found guilty. The judge said that Ryan's killing was the most callous and cold hearted act imaginable. and relief spilled over in a Calgary courtroom today as a judge sentenced three convicted killers to life in prison. All three were found guilty of murdering Ryan Lane. As Raheem Ladani reports, Lane's grieving family applauded the sentence and shared their pain with us. Hugging outside the courtroom, family and friends remember the life of Ryan Lane. I'm so glad it's over. I'm glad that they've got 75 years in total, and I don't have to think of them ever again. Lane's mother, Lorraine Jackson, has now secured visitation rights with her granddaughter. I just wanted um, to do that for Ryan, and I see her about once a month, and she's a beautiful, sweet, lovely child. Friday, the court heard from Lane's sister, Megan. Fighting back tears, she said, I screamed, I collapsed, I wept. I begged the universe to wake me up from this nightmare. Vanessa Carlson is one of Ryan's best friends. She proudly shows off a tattoo she got in his honor. I still get upset a lot now. Uh, I know there's a, a bunch of people who all have tattoo memorials for him, and I do as well, and uh, it's always it's so a piece of him that was always with me. What now? Just what families do. Work, eat, pray, love together. <laughs> Sheena and the Rempel brothers 
all appealed their convictions. Sheena argued that the text between her and Tim should not have been admitted into evidence on the basis of spousal privilege, but all three appeals were denied. They then appealed to the Supreme Court of Canada, who in 2019 also denied to hear Sheena and Tim's cases. The current status of Will's case isn't clear. For those Ryan left behind, it is as raw today as ever. A completely unnecessary and twisted series of events that left everyone reeling. Why on earth it ever needed to come to this was beyond anyone's comprehension. Not much is known about Jordan, but Bruce and Lorraine say they can see their son's personality reflected in her. She is a beautiful, sweet, lovely child, and I love being with her, and she loves being with me. I see Ryan's kindness and good nature. She is a pure soul, Lorraine said. Ryan's friend Carla said, I just want Ryan to be remembered for the fun-loving, charismatic person he was. Happy-go-lucky, and a father who loved his daughter. I just want to say thank you, Ryan, for the years of friendship that you did give to me and my buddies. And we want you to know that they may have taken you in time, but you're still with us, and you always will be. Because a true friend never leaves. A mediator that dealt with the custody conversations said that Ryan was not interested in fighting with Sheena and never had been. His priority was Jordan. He said he wanted regular access to be a part of her life and watch her grow up. That's all Ryan Lane ever wanted and all he had hoped for. <laughs> 